Welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of September 11th, 2019. I am your host, Sean Higgins, and before we get started, I would like to ask one big favor of everyone listening. If you enjoy Tips and Tales, please rate and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening for free on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plain and simple, rating and reviewing the show is the easiest and best way to get Tips and Tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. Alrighty, so on today's show, I had the opportunity to talk with Canadian World Championship medalist Dustin Cook. Dustin made his World Cup debut way back in 2010 and enjoyed a slow and steady progression on tour, scoring points in Giant Slalom, Super G, and combined before his breakthrough silver medal performance in the 2015 World Championship Super G in Beaver Creek, Colorado. Not only did he shock the field and himself that day, but the Ottawa native backed up that performance a few weeks later, landing on the podium a second time in Kvitviel, Norway, and closed out the season with his first World Cup win, taking the final Super G of the season in Maribel, France. Unfortunately for Dustin, the high of a career-best season came to a screeching halt that fall after he suffered a traumatic knee injury just days before the World Cup opener in Seoul in Austria, forcing him to watch from the couch for the entirety of the 2016 season. Dustin returned to the World Cup a year later and has been a solid performer ever since, even making his Olympic debut at Pyeongchang in 2018, finishing ninth in the Super G. But, as you'll hear him explain a little later, he's nowhere near satisfied yet and is busy grinding away to step back on a World Cup podium soon. Before we hear from Dustin, I would like to take just a little bit of time to highlight some of the recent pieces published on SkiRacing.com. With Michaela Schifrin becoming the first ski racer to break the million dollar mark in prize money last season, staff writer Mackenzie Moran took a look at how ski racing prize money stacks up compared to some other well-known individual sports like tennis and golf as well as some more obscure ones like bowling and bull riding. The findings might surprise you. World Junior Slalom Silver medalist Ben Ritchie may only be a teenager, but his approach to the World Cup is well beyond his years. Thanks to his new equipment sponsor, Dina Star, I had the opportunity to talk with the Vermont Slalom Phenom about his World Cup debut in Vengen, his World Junior fireworks, and how he hopes to be a role model for young ski races across the country in the coming years. When U.S. Ski and Snowboard published their athlete project, Deep Dive into the organization, there were several shortcomings or pain points highlighted in the findings. One was the relationships athletes have with their coaches. A new U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee initiative dubbed Project Apollo is geared towards helping coaches become better communicators and advocates for their athletes on and off the hill. And I was able to speak with staff at U.S. Ski and Snowboard and the U.S. OPC about how the project is going so far. Mackenzie sat down with U.S. Ski Team Chef Tanya Alexander to talk about her philosophy behind fueling the fastest skiers in the world and even shared a few of her favorite recipes with us. If you're a fan of overnight oats or just want some tips on how to stay energized during a long season, you'll definitely want to check it out. 2019 Women's Downhill title winner Austria's Nicole Schmidhofer is one of the smallest athletes on all of the World Cup. So how has an athlete so diminutive been able to succeed in an event that usually rewards athletes much bigger? A lot of hard work. As if that wasn't enough, Schmidhofer also set an Austrian speed record of over 217 kilometers per hour this spring when she tried out speed skiing. Read all about it in McKenzie's latest athlete profile. 
It is old news by now, but Austrian superstar Marcel Hirscher announced his retirement from ski racing last week at age 30, live in prime time on Austrian television. After taking a little time to think about it, I think Marcel Hirscher changed ski racing forever. He won holding on to leads, he won coming from behind, and he won with margins so large in a sport so often decided by mere hundredths of a second so frequently, it almost seems superhuman at times. He won with the scrutinizing eyes of the Austrian press watching his every move, and he won when nobody thought he could. He simply always found a way to win, and he won a lot. If you want to read the rest of my thoughts on Hersher's spectacular career, or just want to tell me I'm full of it, give it a read and leave a comment. To read all of those stories and so much more, head on over to SkiRacing.com. And coming up after a quick break will be my interview with Dustin Cook. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. All right, now we'll get you back to the show. All right, welcome back to Tips and Tales. And on the phone with me today, I have World Cup winner, World Championship medalist, and 2018 Olympian, Mr. Dustin Cook of the Canadian Ski Team. Dustin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so I know you've been a pretty busy man this summer with training. You recently got married. How is your prep period going? You're in Switzerland now, right? Yeah, summer was super busy. Um, Getting married was really fun. Um, that combined with all the training and the usual stuff that we do made it kind of a bit of a hectic summer and uh, but I think it was all really good and summer training in the gym went really well did lots of mountain biking which is kind of my summer activity and um, yeah now we're here we've had two days in in Zermatt so far it's been pretty good it's a little bit of a shock to the system to go from plus 35 to minus 15 yesterday so (laughs) kind of adjusting to that slowly Absolutely. So you said you're a big mountain biker, and it's no secret that a lot of ski racers do some sort of biking in the off season, whether it's on the road bike or the mountain bike. Why do you choose mountain biking, and are there similarities between going down a technical trail on your mountain bike and getting back on skis? Yeah, I mean, I grew up mountain biking. I've been pretty much riding my entire life, so it's just naturally something that I really love to do, and I, I. I try to tell my trainers all the time that it's very similar to mountain bike, and I think I'm kind of slowly getting through to that, through them for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot, a lot of similar characteristics in terms of speed, kind of the danger element. You're always having to look ahead, uh, plan for these little split-second decisions going over obstacles and around corners. And, and honestly, I think the, the cornering technique is, as I've gotten better and better riding over the years, is pretty similar to skiing and the way you kind of have to have your weight shifted and keep everything kind of grounded. Um, it's, it's super similar and, um, I'm going to keep telling my trainers that's good until they're okay with me doing it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. What do they say? It's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission, right? That's definitely my philosophy when it comes to mountain bike. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So you mentioned that you're in Switzerland and we've had a couple of your younger teammates on the show earlier in the summer with Broderick Thompson and Sam Mulligan. 
how is it working with these younger athletes on the team over the last couple of years now that you're considered a, a veteran on the squad? Yeah, that's been kind of a funny transition for me because I've always kind of been the younger guy on the team until fairly recently, the last couple of years. And um, it's nice. I mean, I, I loved it coming up and being with those older guys like Manny and Eric and Johnny and Jan Hudek and Robbie and all those guys. But now to have a bunch like a different kind of energy and a group of younger guys that are a little bit less experienced and Ben Thompson and myself can kind of impart our wisdom a little bit. And um, I think it works really well both ways because those young guys bring such a different energy and a level of competition and just competitiveness that they have that I feel like we can maybe kind of lose sometimes. So it's, I think it works really well. It's a good, like symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. And do you learn anything from these younger guys yourself? I, I know a lot of ex-athletes who become coaches kind of end up seeing the sport in a completely different way that they didn't see as an athlete. I'm wondering if you kind of taking on a new role as a mentor have started to view ski racing in a little bit of a different way. Definitely learning a lot about pop culture and memes. <laughs> That's one thing for sure. Um, in terms of actually seeing, I mean, I think, like I said, it's really just that energy. Like, you kind of, as you get older, you kind of get set in your ways. and um, You're really comfortable doing the things that you know have worked and the things that, like, you're comfortable with. But then you kind of can get pushed out of your comfort zone and your, like, your energy zone. Because, for sure, my energy level is a lot different than guys that are 10 years younger than me. So, it's, it's kind of nice sometimes. Or it's nice sometimes. I shouldn't say kind of. It's nice sometimes because... I get pushed to do things that I norm normally probably wouldn't do. And then other times I'm like, just leave me alone. I want to like sit down. Right on. So you mentioned that the guys you really looked up to when you were first made the Canadian team, guys like Eric Gay, Jan Hudek, and Manny Osborne Paradis, what were kind of the big things that you took from them and brought into your own skiing? What were the biggest takeaways from watching those guys and how they conduct themselves in training and in World Cups? World Cups, I think the biggest thing for me was probably inspections. Um, I would ask a lot of questions at, at courses if I'd only ever done them once or if I'd never done them because those guys just know the tracks. And When you're inspecting it the first time as an athlete, it's kind of intimidating. Even now, if you're at a new track and someone else has been there, it's nice to kind of hear the little tips and tricks that they've learned over the years. So that was a big one. Um, and then I would just say kind of the professionalism. And like obviously there's two sides of that because there's the really professional on-hill side where – you're training hard and you're trying to like get everything dialed in and you're kind of bouncing ideas back and forth and you're pushing each other and someone will go fast and then you want to go faster and you kind of just keep leapfrogging each other. So that, that aspect was really, really cool. Um, and I mean, just kind of generally like life on the road, like those guys have had so many, they, they've been on the road for, I don't know, probably like seven to 10 years before I joined the world cup and they've been to the, like the cafes and they've been to the little like, the little places that you want to go to, I should, I want to say the bars because for sure that's, that's an aspect of it after you have a good result or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but just all those like kind of little things that you, that you don't really realize when you're not an athlete because you're not on the road all the time. And I think it's a little bit different for the Europeans too, because they're not constantly always together on the road living kind of as a family. So that, that aspect is really cool. And just to be, I mean, those are all guys that I looked up to for pretty much my entire childhood. So that was just such a cool thing for me. Yeah, and, and talking a little bit more about the life on the road aspect, I've mentioned this before in other interviews, but it's such a unique aspect to the sport for not just North American athletes, but for any team that's not based in Central Europe year-round to be on the road, whether it's the Norwegians, the Canadians, or the Americans. I know there's a lot of history and tradition on the Canadian side, starting with the crazy Canucks, and now you guys call yourselves the Canadian Cowboys. What do you 
maybe not necessarily you in particular, but the team as a whole do to keep yourselves, I guess, almost sane throughout the season, being away from family and friends for so many months at a time? Um, that's been a bit of an interesting one for me because I've kind of always been in between the speed group and the tech group, so I kind of float back and forth, and that was really great for a while when I had some other teammates that were doing the same thing, but the last couple of years, I've kind of been on my own, and it, was re- it really was wearing on me just to be more or less alone all the time, like without any other athletes, kind of, so this year, um, it's super nice to have those guys back um, and to have that vibe, and Ben and I are kind of the older guys on the team, and we have our way of doing things but it's kind of cool to like mesh our two different cultures together with this young group that's been together for so long and just kind of like right now i just left a card game that these guys are playing inside uh, a bunch of us have nintendo switches so we play video games just like anything to kind of bond and pass the time and just become a team as a family because otherwise it's so hard to survive on the road when you're all alone or yeah. when you kind of feel alone yeah absolutely so talking a little bit more about you kind of being a mentor now i know you do a lot of work with your home club of mont saint marie back in canada what is the extent of the work you've been doing with your home club i know there's a a building named after you now that uh that must be pretty exciting (laughs) yeah definitely a couple things over the years that have happened that i never really thought would happen um it's been super cool so i mean always growing up i had people that i looked up to but there was never really anybody from our region that had done too much we had pat biggs who was really good um, when i was growing up but no podiums or anything so when that kind of happened for me i'd always tried to come back and coach athletes and mentor and it's a super super tight community so when i'm there it's just you're just like pretty much a lot of the athletes are the young athletes i would say are friends at this point and i would hope that they feel comfortable like, coming to me and asking any questions but from coaching to just like being around doing some dryland stuff mountain biking in the summer um, it's such a tight community that stuff is super easy but now the club which I think is super cool super super cool and I'm super proud of the club for the way this has happened but basically the run that I grew up skiing on was was too narrow they used to have norms back in the day I think Bodie raced there once um, but over the years now we have a, an awesome start out up there the hill is now twice as wide in all spots they've had norms there um, they're looking to put a finish hut in now um, so basically they're trying to make this really awesome training center in the east because there kind of isn't really too much going on in the east in Canada in terms of GS runs, especially around Ottawa. The further you get into Quebec, there's some bigger mountains for sure. But um, it's been unbelievably cool to see the community rally and make that stuff happen. It's just such a passionate community. So I'm, I'm super honored to be a part of it and to have a run and basically the training center named after me is kind of a little bit hard to believe sometimes. That's awesome. So kind of in that same vein, the reason why all of these things are happening around you at your home club is you really had some spectacular results a little bit earlier on in your World Cup career. You made your debut back in 2010, and then you slowly started building this momentum that all kind of came to a climax at the 2015 World Championships in Beaver Creek, Colorado, where you came from I don't, I don't want to say necessarily back of the pack, but certainly after all the favorites had already gone to come down into a silver medal. What was that day like for you, and what was that momentum build throughout that season like? I would say that it's kind of taken me a while every step of the journey, like from being a younger racer to going to FIS and like kind of getting the top FIS races and then from FIS to NORAMs, and then it took me a while, like you said, 2010 to like kind of 2014, 15 to get anywhere really on the World Cup, so... I mean, I feel like it was good in one way. Obviously, I would have much rather it happened faster, but I learned a lot on that journey and kind of learned to not take anything for granted. And I think the last few years have definitely shown me that I shouldn't take anything for granted because ski racing is really hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that day was just 
absolutely. I'll never, like, I can remember, like, basically every second of that day. I, I still remember watching Bodie crash and having that huge hold, um, being at the top. I almost, I actually almost missed my, not didn't miss it, but I was, didn't have time to have my normal prep because I watched Ted go to the game. I was like, oh, crap, I'm only two after him. And I was, like, still fully in, my, like, all my ski clothes and everything. So, like, just basically stripped out of all my gear and went into the start. I was like, all right, got to go now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, and especially to do it in Beaver Creek, my, my now wife is from, uh, like, five minutes away. So I had a whole bunch of family there, a bunch of friends. It was just such an unbelievable day. And then it turned into an unbelievable week. But yeah, that that whole build up and that all that that whole process to get to that point was was a long one. And uh, like I said, I think just learned a lot over those years. And it just kind of like that confidence kind of snowballs over the years. And now I'm kind of at that point again, trying to get it back. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear you say that your normal routine was a little bit interrupted that day. Do you think that helped you ultimately, or was it something else that clicked either mentally or technically, or, or maybe it was something you saw during inspection that really kind of took you to that next step? I don't know. I can't, I don't think I can say if it helped or hurt. Um, I think it might've helped, but I don't know. Um, I always really like Beaver Creek. I love the snow. I love that hill and just kind of being, I love racing in North America because we get to do it so infrequently. Mm-hmm. but I definitely didn't get to like think about too much. So I kind of was just in the game like, all right, well, let's, let's do this. I'm starting 28. There's no real expectations, but I was super confident from that year. I'd had a, like a string of good results and was like kind of scratching at the door, putting in a top 10. And I remember talking to a friend a couple days before and he's like, what are your goals? I was like, I think a top five is super realistic. And I'd be really, really stoked with that obviously because I'd never had one, but, and then to come down and I, I was obviously just floored when I came through the finish line. But then thinking back on it, like a few hours after I was like, this is kind of all the building to this point. And this is super cool. Nice. Nice. And then kind of building off of that result, you went on to grab another podium at the end of the season in Kvitfjell. And then you actually won your first world cup at world cup finals in Maribel, France, taking the super G there. Was that almost validation? Did you feel like you weren't seen as a, a one-hit wonder of sorts, just kind of coming in, stealing the silver medal, and then going off into oblivion by uh, actually backing it up with two more podiums? Yeah, I for sure for sure wanted to back that up in a big way, and I was just so, like, confidence definitely snowballs. I think you can see it pretty frequently in seasons when guys kind of come out of nowhere or just, like, finally get that podium, and then they have another, like, have a string of them. So that confidence just spiraled, and I was just, like, and. I was just so stoked to go into those races. Like, I know I can podium. Like, I'm skiing so well. Like, let's do this. And then going to finals, I was my first time ever at finals. It was a track I'd never raced at. Super fun place to be. We're staying at the nicest hotel I've ever stayed at in my life. And, I like, the, the night before, I was like, why would I not win this race? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm skiing so well right now. Like, let's just go and do it. Mm-hmm. Kind of just didn't really think and went out and did my thing. Yeah. Just happens like that sometimes, I guess. Yeah, Definitely. So going from really the highest of highs at the end of that season to, I've got to imagine, one of the lowest points in your career, you had an incredibly serious knee injury during the prep for that next season. What was the extent of that injury, and how did you take that, and how did you deal with that after the best season of your career just a few months earlier? Yeah, that was definitely not that sweet of a time to get injured. That whole summer, I felt like I kept building off of that past season and was skiing way better than I was even that past season with winning those races or winning that race and those podiums and we had a great group of guys and just a super good training group and then to get hurt that was just a bit devastating but I tried to stay positive obviously like there's nothing I got hurt and kind of my service guy Bob longtime serviceman was freaking out I'm like Bob what am I like there's no there's no point freaking out because there's nothing to do about this except for trying to get back like I can't Mm -hmm. do anything about it no use crying over spills milk kind of thing and 
attitude, I would say, kind of is hard to keep up the whole time because it's such a long process to get back from an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that don't know, I did my ACL, tore my ACL, MCL in my right knee. Luckily, no meniscus damage. And then I also tore my adductor on my left leg, which was, I highly recommend never doing that. It was the most painful. It was way more painful than the knee. Mm-hmm. But healed way faster. Um, so yeah, that that whole process coming back was really hard because I was at home watching races, being like, I know I can compete with these guys and be on the podium. But you just kind of put your head down and grind it out and shed some tears because it's just not a fun process and it's super painful. And then I was pretty happy with how things went when I came back. Um, I think I was 13th in my first race back and then sixth. Um, so I was pretty psyched with that, and it kind of was a validation that I can still do it. And so it was good. It was. Definitely something I never want to go through again, for sure. But yeah. um, I kind of feel like it's something that just as a speed athlete, you just kind of have to go through, and you either learn from it and move on and get stronger, or you're, it's just not going to work for you. And talking to athletes that have had traumatic injuries like yours, there's kind of a theme that there's two sides to it. There's getting back to be physically healthy, and then there's there's the mental aspect of being out of it for so long. And then when you do return to snow, there's almost like a little demon in the back of your head telling you that you're going to get hurt again. Did you have to overcome that at all when you got back on skis? Honestly, I didn't really have to that much. Like the first week or so, yeah, you're kind of wondering, like, did this actually heal up really well? How am I going to feel? But I think the way that our team, like the team behind the team, kind of went through that process with me, we took we had kind of the luxury in quotations of uh, taking longer than kind of necessary. So I, did, I took a full eight months before I even got back to sliding at all in snow. And I think that really paid off because I, I have zero problems. I've never had any pain. It's always felt super, super good. So luckily I never really went through that, that process. <laughs> and I know you talked a little bit about when you first did come back to the World Cup, you did you did really jump right back into the top 15 and the top 10, but you haven't quite made it back to the podium yet. Would you kind of characterize your World Cup since your injury as inconsistent, or do you feel like you're on the right track and, and building towards returning to the podium? Yeah, so that season I thought it was okay. I ended back up in the top 25. I actually felt like I crashed on the last gate of finals that year and was winning the race at that point, so that was a huge bummer. Still haven't gotten over that one, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but then the next season, I got back in the top 15, so I was pretty stoked with that. And like, I thought that was a really good building year. And then last year was just a complete disaster with a whole bunch of things going on within the team and politics and coaching and stuff. And so I definitely know that I can still do it. Um, or else I really wouldn't be here, wouldn't be trying to do this. Um, but it's, I think in the, I mean, it's been four years since that. Like Ski racing has just gotten harder and harder and harder every year. The margins have gotten smaller and smaller. So it's just really, really tough to to be there, especially if you're not kind of consistently putting in those results. But mm-hmm. that's why we're out here working. We're trying to get back to that. And it's not like you, like I've lost anything or I don't, I feel like in skiing, it's pretty easy to, to get there in some respects. Like you can like the, the switch flips kind of thing, like it did in 2015. And then you can kind of lose it. If things don't go your way, and you don't have the right program, but pretty confident in this program that we have now and the coaching and all that stuff. So um, I'm looking, obviously looking for a big season. I'm looking to build, to like get back to the podium because of the splits and all that stuff. And like I've had moments and, but yeah, it hasn't been super consistent, but we'll get there. Awesome. So talking a little bit about this coming season, it's uh, a little unique in that there's no world championships, no Olympics. How are you approaching this year? Do you almost feel like there's a little bit less pressure to make another championship team or do you approach this just like any other world cup season? It is kind of nice to not have any, any major events going on. It just, it doesn't feel like an like a bye year or anything, but it just is 
a little bit less important. So that's kind of nice because you have those three years in a row of like big, big event years and it's just, it's a lot. It adds up and the World Cup is hard enough as it is. So I feel like that's kind of nice. But otherwise, I pretty much approach it as every other year. It's just, you're just trying to do it the best that you can at every single race and like build and get those start numbers and get back on the podium, that kind of thing. And I would think that the the big goal for you this season is to get back to World Cup finals. They're going to be in Cortina d'Ampezzo, Italy, which is also the host of the next World Championships in 2021. You must be really motivated to get on that track and get some mileage on it before the next World Championships as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure always the goal to be at finals, but I feel like that's more of a byproduct of a lot of other things that happen throughout the season, which start basically as soon as you start dry land training for this for the coming season. So. Um, Cortina is a super cool place, and I really, really I love Italy and the food, the culture, and that the snow there, that hill is just so fun. So yeah, I, I would really love to be there, of course. Awesome. So you have uh, a little bit of a special project going on with your home club, Mont Saint Marie. Tell us a little bit about that, real quick. Um, yeah, actually, with, with my home club. So as I mentioned, um, that the club has really, really rallied behind this training center, and it's been super cool to be a part of and have my name on it but now the next project is building a finish hut so i mean obviously it's in quebec and it's freezing there so the start hut was is awesome i finally got to check it out this summer um if we had that when i was a kid i probably would have had significantly less frostbite um so now the big the big goal is to get a finish area where people can sit have a job and have a fire going and like actually watch races and if there's an orange going on and all that stuff. It's actually a really great place to watch a good section of the of the race. So there will be a fundraising page coming up soon. I can send you that link, Sean. And if you guys want to check it out, donate a couple bucks. That would be awesome. But yeah, it's a super cool project, and I'm super super proud of that community. All right, Dustin. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I know you're busy with your training. Uh, good luck this season, and we'll see you out there. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hope to see all you guys out on the slopes. All right. Talk to you soon. Yeah. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next time.